for our guest, Heath Adamson. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Psalm 23, that's where we're going to be for just a few minutes. So open up your Bible, get out your iPhone, your Droid, your Galaxy, whatever it is you have these days. I believe it'll also be on the screens. So what I'd like us to do, if we could, let's just read Psalm 23 out loud together. Okay. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do was go to grandma's house. I didn't know grandma's name until I was a teenager. Her name was Sylvia. I called her Ma. And I love going to Ma's house. So I don't have time to get into my story, but as a young kid, I didn't have a lot that I could count on. But what I could count on is every other Saturday when my biological dad would come to my house and pick me up, we went to Ma's house. And I loved going to Ma's house. I just want to give permission to every grandma in the room to be crazy. Okay? You have my permission to be crazy. And feed your grandkids whatever you want to feed them. It's okay. So I loved going to Ma's house. Saturday morning, we rolled at her house on the east side of Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm from. And we rolled into Ma's house like clockwork, usually at about 8 o'clock in the morning. She had a little white house, wooden siding, the white... Uh, paint was usually chipping, chipping off the, the sides. So we'd walk in and Ma always came out of the kitchen and every single Saturday, regardless of the season, she brought the same thing out. And I love going to Ma's house because at eight o'clock on Saturday morning, she brought out a brand new two liter of Coca-Cola. And I love Coca-Cola. And she brought out a two liter of Coca-Cola and somehow she just managed to put it in the freezer and keep it in the freezer for just a, the right amount of time so that when you turn the cap, ice crystals formed at the top. She brought out a two liter of Coke and a big, fresh, hot pot of black coffee. And so as a preschooler, I love going to Ma's house. It's the only place I could drink coffee and Coke at the same time for breakfast. And she brought out oatmeal cookies. Now, if you've ever been to the dollar store, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're not really oatmeal cookies, let's be honest. Somebody swept the floor of the Purina cat food factory, and they pressed everything together and mixed powdered sugar and Elmer's glue together and put it on top. They call them cookies, but they're not. Only God and the angels know what's actually in them. You could buy a thousand of them for 99 cents back in the day. Recently, I was at Walmart. I saw the same bag, a thousand cookies for 99 cents. Who in the right mind buys things like this? Well, we did. So Ma would bring out the cookies and the Coke and the coffee. And as a preschooler, I'm dipping the so-called oatmeal cookies in my Coke and my coffee. I'm loving it, popping them in my mouth. Usually at about 830, we left Ma's house. We went out into the yard. And depending upon the season, my brother, my dad, myself, whoever was uh, there that day, we always helped Ma with the yard work. Mower lawn, chop down some trees, pick up the dead sticks, pick up the dead cats. I kid you not. Pick up the dead cats. All the cat lovers hate me now. Listen, I didn't kill the cats. We just scooped them up. We buried them properly. Trust me. 
who would scoop up the dead animals because she loved animals. She, all the animals in the neighborhood came to her house. We'd scoop up the dead snakes. We'd rake up the leaves. Maybe in the spring, we would take the screens off the windows, Windex the windows, hose the screens off, put them back on, scrape off the, you know, the peeling white paint from the wood siding, put a fresh coat of paint on, clean the gutters, maybe pick some of the sticks that fell off of some of our evergreen trees that landed on a roof. We would take the sticks off the roof. And then usually at about noon, we went into the house and we had lunch. And every single day, regardless of the season, we had the same thing for lunch. Here's what we had. Ma came out of the kitchen. She had a brand new two liter of Coca-Cola Classic. She had a fresh hot pot of black coffee. She had an unopened bag of, you guessed it, oatmeal cookies. And she also had deviled ham sandwiches on white bread. Now, for those of you that don't know what deviled ham is, maybe you know what spam is. Does anybody know what spam is? Okay, so growing up, we used to eat fried spam and Miracle Whip sandwiches once a week. Okay, so what in the world is deviled ham? Deviled ham is the stuff that's so nasty, it won't even make it into the can of spam. If you open up a can of deviled ham, half of it's minced meat and the other half is lard. I kid you not. Go to the store today and buy a can of deviled ham. Candidly, it's overpriced. And she would spread the deviled ham on the white bread... Fleischmann's yellow mustard, and we would eat our sandwiches, eat our cookies, drink our Coke and our coffee. And in the summer months, Ma always put a hefty chunk of melon on the paper plate. And once a month, we took Ma to the store. Like clockwork, we would go to Dolls Foods on the east side of Des Moines on Euclid Avenue. You would go down aisle one, where back then, that's where the white Wonder Bread was. Hang a left, go down aisle four, that's where the cans of deviled ham were. Go up aisle five, that's where she picked up her Folgers or Senka coffee, when the coffee used to be in a metal can. And then you would go down aisle seven, where she'd pick up maybe a bag of Cheetos or cheese puffs. You got to pick up the two liter of Coke in aisle ten. Just on the other side of aisle ten is where the frozen food section was, as well as the produce aisle. And Ma who was about an 80-pound elderly woman who never had a home. Growing up, they were migrant farmers. They lived in the south, and they walked beans and picked cotton and details of corn and picked melons. They lived in a tent her entire life. She never graduated from high school. She went, uh, went to school through junior high. And after her husband died at the invasion of Normandy in World War II, the government showed up and gave her a check. And with that check, she purchased a home. And during the summer months, Ma, who, I mean, no disrespect, Ma was as deaf as anybody you can find. Hearing loss runs in my family. If you're here today and you're hearing impaired, you understand what I'm talking about. Thank God for technology today because now there are tools that allow us to hear. Hearing loss runs in my family. Unless God heals me, that's, that's the path I'm on. But I'm believing God will heal me. I have a hard time hearing. So if you say something to me after the service, I promise I'm not being rude. I just don't hear you. And Ma, before the technology was advanced, Ma had these hearing aids that were huge. They were on the side of her head. And Ma couldn't hear anything even with the hearing aids. So what would happen is you'd have to scream at Ma. And it would cause the hearing aids to vibrate. 
the batteries would make a weird high-pitched noise and they would somehow vibrate. And when her head would vibrate, she would turn around to see who was talking and she would read your lips. How many of you know people look at you like you're mean when you scream at your elderly grandma at the grocery store? And the reason you're screaming at her is you want to get her attention. So in the summer months, when Ma would go to the produce aisle to pick out a melon, I remember screaming at Ma because Ma always embarrassed us. And here's how she would pick out the melons. She would walk around the huge bin of watermelons and she would begin to spank the melons. She'd walk around the table and spank the watermelons. And so you're yelling at Ma to try to get her attention because we're running late. We have to get home. People stare at you because you're verbally abusing your grandma. Her head's vibrating. She turns around. She's reading your lips. She's spanking the melons. And then somehow she would pick up the melon and shake it and hold it up to her ear. And only God and the angels know what she heard. (laughs) She would hold the melon up to her ear. And somehow that was God's way of saying, buy the melon. She'd throw it in the cart. And we would go to checkout. And there happened to be this peculiar wire stand of jigsaw puzzles at the cash register. And Wa always picked out a jigsaw puzzle. Not the kind with 48 pieces that sane people put together. She would buy the 6,286 piece jigsaw puzzle. And we would go home. She would stick the two liter of Coke in the freezer. She would stick the coffee in the cupboard. Put the melon on the counter. And when we had our deviled ham sandwiches and cookies and coffee and melon and Coke. We never sat at the kitchen table. We always sat at the sofa table by the window that overlooked her yard. Because the kitchen table was off limits. Because the kitchen table is where Ma put together her jigsaw puzzles. And as a kid, here's how I noticed Ma put together her puzzles. Maybe you can relate. Ma would always take the clear cellophane off of the box, take the lid off of the box, flip it over, and then one by one begin to meticulously flip every single puzzle piece up so that you could see the color. And then she always looked for the four. You guys have four corners in Nebraska too, don't you? She always looked for the four corners, copyright Milton Bradley, bottom right hand corner. Everybody gets a freebie. And then she would find the pieces with the straight edge and begin to build the edge of the puzzle. And then she took the lid of the puzzle box and set it up against the wall on her kitchen table and begin to look at the lid and build the puzzle based on the picture that was on the lid. So let's say you're putting together a picture of Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. You know, upper left-hand corner, that's where all the goldenrod pieces go. So you look for all the pieces of the goldenrod. You begin to put together the puzzle based on the picture that's on the lid. And as a little kid, I remember asking myself, what would happen if I switched her lid? And it's the first time Ma ever cussed at me. And it's also the first time she ever spanked me. And that woman could hit hard. It must have been from the melons. I remember watching Ma, she took the pieces and she assumed it would go here because the color was similar. So she would press just a little bit harder to make it fit. Or I'll never forget, she took out the scissors. I'm sure the manufacturer made a mistake. And she's trimming the edge of the pieces, putting the puzzle together because the picture on the box was different than the pieces she had. It's amazing what we do. It's amazing what we do when we have all the right pieces and we're putting together a picture that the designer never intended us to put together. And so for just a few minutes today, I want to talk to you about 
what happens when our lid gets switched. Because we can have all the right pieces, you guys. We can have the right pieces. Like the Word of God. And prayer. And community. And church. Thank God for church. Thank God for the house. And thank God you guys are going to three services. How cool is that? You know, listen, I, I travel a lot. Um, and I'm in a lot of places. And I'm, I'm thankful for where God's moving. But I also, I'm telling you, there's a lot of places that don't have what y'all have. There is, this is a, a perfect picture of what heaven will be like. Just nation after nation represented. And there's life in the place. And there's energy in the place. And there are generations in the place. What a healthy, healthy church this is. And we have all the right pieces. We have church and the Bible and prayer and community and people. How many of you know we need one another? We also have right pieces like repentance. And admitting when we're wrong. The right pieces like humility. The right pieces like love and faithfulness. And family and belonging. But we can have all of the right pieces. And if somebody switches our lid. We do everything we can. Even if we try to shave the edges off. To make it all work. And sometimes we're not supposed to make it all work. Sometimes we're supposed to be okay. When the picture that's on our kitchen table. Looks different. Than the picture on the lid. So has somebody switched your lid? In Psalm 23. We're. Faced with this reality. That we serve a God. Who directs our steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe some of you have even devoted this verse to memory. It says that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And lean not on our own understanding. That in all of our ways we acknowledge Him. And He directs our path. He directs our path. We know that God is sovereign. We know that a man can receive nothing unless it is first given to him from heaven. John 3. We know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he chooses. Proverbs 21. We know that God works everything out according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1. We know that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. According to Daniel 4. And he gives them to whomever he chooses. The list goes on and on and on. The, the, the word of God is clear. We, we walk with and we serve under a king who is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And he orders the steps of the righteous. He is who he says he is. And, and when we read the word of God, we, we see on this side of the story that God is thoroughly involved in the affairs of humanity. And I'm not going to necessarily cover in this service what I did in the, sec, in, in the first service. But during worship, I was reminded of a story when there's a guy named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau are brothers. And Esau is the firstborn son. And he is basically going to receive uh, a double inheritance. And he's born, going to be given an immense amount of influence in the family. And if you've ever read the story before, it's recorded in the book of Genesis. Esau, a hunter, actually sells or despises his birthright because he's hungry and for a temporary moment of pleasure he candidly just he he destroys the eternal purpose of God in his life and Jacob who is a liar and a deceiver actually steals the birthright from his brother 
And it's interesting. You look at that and you just think, man, Esau is the one that God chose. But God is sovereign. He knew that Jacob would steal the birthright. And I don't have time to get into all that. But what I found out in some research is that in the New Testament, the the Edomites, Esau, the descendants of Esau were called the Edomites. Everybody say Edomites. The descendants of Esau. Remember, Esau is the guy who should have been in the lineage of Jesus. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. It's not what it says. It says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Esau's name would have been there had he not despised his birthright. And Esau, his descendants, became known in history as the Edomites. You can read about them in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the Romans changed the name of the Edomites and they called them the Idumeans. The Idumeans had a family or a dynasty that came from their ancestry and they were known as the Herods. And I found out that, you know what? Esau, when you despise your birthright, do you understand that your descendants in the future will actually be responsible for the, for partially responsible for the murder of the Son of God? The Herods. Is it really worth it, Esau? But I also found something else out. I found out that God is sovereign in the midst of somebody making a decision that would destroy their family and their ancestry. Because I found out in the year 7 BC, the descendants of Esau had two living heirs to their kingdom, if you will. And the Herods had two men who one of which would sit on the throne. One of them was called Alexander and one of them was called Aristobulus. I'm, I'm giving you this because we need to understand that the Bible is not just a book. The Bible is steeped in history. It is thoroughly accurate. And it is the supernatural living word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Our culture needs to understand that the word of God has more proof historically and scientifically than anything else. It's not just the best-selling book that's ever existed. It is the living, breathing Word of God. And I want to encourage you to become a student of the Word of God. It's not just for the preachers. It's not just for the professors. Every believer is called to um, be ready to give a hope for the reason that you have. And in the year 7 BC, Alexander and Aristobulus, Esau's great, 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 great grandchildren were murdered by Herod. Which means even if Esau did not despise his birthright, his two great, 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 great grandchildren would have died and the lineage of the Messiah would have stopped. Even in our disobedience, God is sovereign. And when we read the Bible and we see stories like Esau and we see stories like Daniel and we think, you know what, man, God, you're amazing. But when we look at our life and we have all the right pieces, I wonder if somebody switched our lid. Because we think, man, it worked out for Daniel. It worked out for Jacob. It worked out for Paul. But my life is a mess. I'm here to tell you something. Sometimes our life 
even though it has all the right pieces, we try to make them all fit. They don't always have to fit because the designer is the one who knows what it's supposed to look like in the end. And Psalm 23 provides breadcrumbs for us in that. So for just the last few minutes, I want to unpack Psalm 23 and then we'll be done. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's interesting, the psalm says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, but I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you know, oftentimes we walk through the green pastures and we choose to lie down in the valley. But he makes us lie down in green pastures and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. It says he leads me in paths. Paths is plural. Paths of righteousness. And in this psalm, I'm sure there's more than two paths, but in this psalm we see two. One path leads to the green pasture. One path leads to the valley of the shadow of death. But how many of you know a path is different than a destination? And what I'm learning more and more is you may take a path that leads to a green pasture. You may take a path that leads to the valley of the shadow of death, but they always end up at the same place. They always end up at the the place that God intended the path to end up at. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In the language of the psalm, it says, it's fun. In the first half of the psalm, the language is a bit abstract. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But it's not in the green pasture where the Lord gets close. It's in where? The valley of the shadow of death, where he and the Lord becomes you. It says, in the valley of the shadow of death... Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a realm of intimacy that exists with God that is not to be found in the green pasture. It is only found in the valley. And it's not in the green pasture where he prepares the banqueting table. It's in the valley. And how many of you know God knows how to throw a party? Right? And if I was God, here's what I would do. Here's how I would throw a party for you. I would find out your favorite color. And even though I don't understand all this stuff, I'm married and I've got two daughters. So they, help, they would help me make it foo-foo. And I would throw a party. We would find out your favorite color. And let's say your favorite color is pink. We would have pink streamers and pink balloons. And we'd find out who your friends and family were. And we would even send out pink invitations. We would color coordinate the whole thing. And we would invite all of your friends and family to the party. And we would make sure that the weather was good. And that the location was perfect. And your favorite food was there. What does the Lord do? The Lord says, I'm going to invite all of your enemies. Thanks for that. I'm going to invite all of your enemies. I'm going to spread the banqueting table, not in the green pasture, but in the valley. I'm going to invite all of your enemies. And guess what, son and daughter? You have a choice. You can either allow your gaze to fall on your enemies, or you can just turn your back on your enemy, and you can allow your gaze to fall on the table. And just because your gaze falls on the table doesn't mean your enemy is not there. But how many of you know that if your gaze falls on your enemy, you'll forget that the table's there. 
He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It says he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. And in order to understand what the Bible means, we have to understand what it meant. So here's what's going on. Back then, and even to this day, because people still in the Middle East are a bit nomadic, and some of them wander around, and and they do their thing. It would be like the Adamson clan. Heath, Allie, Leighton, and Dallin were on a journey, walking through the desert. And let's say we come, the, the sun is setting, the cool breeze is beginning to blow across the Sinai Peninsula, and I see your tent off in the distance. And you've got a fire. You know what, honey? It's about to get cold. We don't have any dinner prepared. I don't even need to wonder what your response will be, miss, because I just know the custom is if I come up to your tent, you'll take care of me. So I see her tent off in the distance and her family and the fire, and we walk up to the tent, and the leader of the family greets me. I don't even have to get up to the door of the tent. The leader of the family sees me from afar off and greets me. And the first thing that happens is I'm invited to come into the tent. Why don't you come into the tent? We'll have a meal together. We'll have a drink together. We'll share some conversation. But before my family and I come into your tent, you give me oil. And the oil has a few purposes. One, the oil is aromatic. That means it smells good. Because we've been walking around the Sinai Peninsula, we stink, we haven't bathed for days, we've been sweating, you get the point. So let's just cover it with some really good oil. So you give us some oil and we begin to smell good, because the last thing you want is me wandering into your tent with body odor. Amen. How, how do you recover? <laughs> how do you recover from that? At this point, if I was quick on my feet, I would say something about Alabama football. But they won another national championship. There's nothing I can say. So they give, you give me oil, and I smell really good. My family smells good. But the oil also has medicinal purpose. Which means we anoint our head with oil, and it kills the head lice. It kills the critters. So we anoint our head with oil. And now we can come into your tent and we recline, we're sharing a meal. And at the end of the meal, here's the custom. At the end of the meal is the leader of your family walks up to me and I hold my cup out. And if you want to send a message to me, something along the lines of, you know what, Heath, we've enjoyed the meal. Conversation's been fantastic, but we'd really like you to leave us alone then I would hold my cup out and you would fill it up halfway. But if at the end of the meal, you want to send the message, we really like you and your family. Why don't you just spend the night with us? Spend the night with us, we'll hang out, we'll have midnight snacks, in the morning we'll have breakfast, we'll send you on your way well fed. Then you would fill my cup up to the top. But that's not what the Lord does. And it's not in the green pasture. It's in the valley where the Lord spreads a banqueting table. And he anoints our head with oil. And our cup overflows. Isn't it interesting that the Lord says, why don't you stay a little bit longer in the place we wouldn't choose to go? The phrase shadow of death that I can find is... Embedded in scripture 15 times. 
Okay, you can find it in Job, you can find it in Jeremiah, you can find it all over the place. And sometimes the context of the valley of the shadow of death or the shadow of death is referring to the afterlife and at other times it's referring to a geographical location. But here's what I've discovered in my studies. In Psalm 23, when it's talking about the green pasture and it's talking about the valley of the shadow of death, it's not talking about two different locations. It's talking about the same location. And whether or not it's a green pasture or a valley of the shadow of death has nothing to do with the ground we're standing on. It has everything to do with what we see. I wonder if somebody switched your lid. I wonder if what you see is not all that there is. And I wonder if the Lord has invited you to a place in life because he is the one who leads you in paths of righteousness for whose sake? His name's sake. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And could it be that you find yourself at a place today that you wouldn't have chosen to go to? But that's exactly where God wants you to be. It's my prayer for you that you wouldn't allow a circumstance to switch your lid and that you wouldn't allow a circumstance to dictate your theology. Because whether you're in the green pasture or you're in the valley, he is who he says he is. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. What happens when our lid gets switched, we begin to doubt the word of God. And we begin to doubt his love for us. And we begin to wonder, where did we miss it? Where did we get off? I feel compelled to share a few things. This is very different than what I shared in the first service. I feel compelled to share a few things. There's somebody whose birthday is in October. Your birthday is in October, the first two weeks of October. I don't know the day, I'm sorry. I normally don't do this. First two weeks of October. And you're really... You're really discouraged because you feel like you've missed it. You've missed it. You look at your life and you assess and you think, had I, had I heard correctly in the past, I would have gone down the path that leads to the green pasture. Right? And if you look back, now listen, sometimes we make decisions that violate the word of God and then it's not God directing our steps. Because if you choose... If you choose to walk away from your marriage, that's not God's plan for you. Like if you choose to abuse drugs, trust me, God's not leading you down that path. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when the heart is postured towards heaven and we just say, Lord, I love you. I trust you, but I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do when your heart is sincere and when you when you're when you're courageously standing and yet humbly bowing, I'm telling you. It is impossible to miss what God has for you. It's impossible. If you're playing games with God and you're trying to manipulate him and you're using prayer as an excuse to manipulate God, good luck with that. That's not that's not going to that's not going to help you. But if you're sincerely saying, "Lord, I trust you and I need you." I don't know what to do. Then you trust that he directs our path. 
and that he guides us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And if your birthday is in the first two weeks of October and, and you look at your life and you just think, man, I really feel like I missed it. I just am compelled to share with you. You didn't miss it. You didn't miss it. And don't pick up the puzzle pieces and try and trim them and make them fit. Instead, make sure you don't switch the lid of your box. And trust that he is who he says he is. Somebody's, you've been tormented. You've been tormented. You just feel like the Lord's been mad at you. Just because you you feel like you're in the valley and you're not. You're actually in the valley slash green pasture. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And just because, just because you're in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean God didn't intend you to be there. Okay. I want to ask two questions. And if that's for you, you don't need to come up and tell me. I don't need to know who you are. I normally don't do that, but I, I needed to share that with you. Now, I, I just want to encourage you to come before the Lord in prayer with his word. Don't just take what I said and think that's enough because it's not enough. What I just said is a reminder to you that what God's been sharing with you through his word over and over and over again, you, you need to go back to that. Okay. I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, please, because I'm going to ask you a personal question. And you may be the only person who responds. I'm warning you. You may be the only person who responds today. I'm going to ask you to respond, and I'm going to ask you to physically move forward. So I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to bait and switch you. I'm just telling you, I'm going to ask you to respond today. I did this when I was 17, when I met Jesus, and I've done this probably 5,000 times since then. Because when the word of God is spoken in a way that hits me in the heart, my answer is yes. Even if I don't know what the question that the Lord is asking me is. I'm going to ask you two questions. First question is this. If you're in the room and you say, you know what? I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and change my life. Here's the deal. The Bible says everybody has sinned. That means you have done something Jesus didn't do or you didn't do something Jesus wanted you to do. You have violated the word of God. It's called sin. It's not just a bad decision. It's not just a poor choice. It is sin. And everybody is a sinner. And because of that, you don't have the relationship with God that he wants you to have with him. You've been separated from him. It's like you, you, you don't even know he's near. But Jesus is not just a religious figure. He's not just a fairy tale. He's not just a great rabbi. Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He came and lived a sinless life and he died for you. And he was supernaturally raised from the dead. And over 500 eyewitnesses saw it. It is documented all throughout history. Over 500 eyewitnesses. People will spend a life in prison under the testimony of one eyewitness. There were 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus raised from the dead. He is the son of God. And he is the way, the truth and the life. I'm not asking you if you died tonight, would you go to hell? That's not what I'm asking. Even though life after death is a reality and there is a real heaven and a real hell, but I'm, we don't come to Jesus so we can escape hell, even though I'm thankful that I'm not going there when I die. Thank God for that. I'm asking you, what if you started living today? What if you really started living? Jesus came to give you life life more abundantly 
That's me, Heath. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me, to love me the way I am, to change me. All of your problems may not go away. It's not why we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If that's you, I'm going to pan the audience once, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. That's me. I want to ask Jesus to change my life. Let me see your hand, please. It's a good move, miss. Up, 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 up. Good move, good move, good move, good move. It's a good move in the balcony. Thank you, miss. Thank you, sir. It's a good move. Yes, 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 yes. There's dozens of hands. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Good move, sir. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. In the balcony all over the place. You can put them down. Thank you. I'm going to ask a second question. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. But I believe with all my heart there are people here who have been discouraged. And people here who quite candidly, your lid's been switched. And you just wonder, where in the world is God? What in the world is going on? And I just want to encourage you. You may be in the green pasture. You may be in the valley. But it's really the same place. Because it's the sovereign one who directed your path. So get your eyes off the enemy and get your eyes on the table and feast. Because as you hold your cup out to him, he will anoint your head with oil and your cup will overflow. And if that's you, in a moment when the worship team just leads us in song, I'm going to ask you to pour your heart out like water before the face of the Lord. And to take all the puzzle pieces and put them before the Lord and let him put together the picture that he intended you to put together. And if you don't figure it out and you don't understand, that's okay. So here's the deal. If you raise your hand and you say, I want Jesus to change my life, I'm going to ask you right now to slip out of your seat and come forward and meet me right up here, please. Quickly come. There were about 50 or 60 of you that raised your hands. I'm going to ask you to come. And I'm going to ask the church to do what they're doing in heaven. Come on. Let's cheer them on. Let's cheer them on. Come on. Let's cheer them on. Go ahead, team. Let's cheer them on. Come on. They're still coming. We'll wait. Those of you who came forward, here's what we're going to do. Almost all of us in the room have done this before. So what we're going to do, the team's going to lead us in a song. And I'm just going to ask you in your own words right now as they're singing, in your own words, talk to God about what's going on. Talk to God about why you're here pour your heart out before the Lord in your own language and then in a moment pastor will come he'll give you instruction he's the pastor of this church God has brought you here to this place today you're not alone there's a community here who wants to come alongside and help you and pastor will give us instruction but for the next five minutes when you when you come share your heart but for the rest of us let's lift up our hearts before the Lord in worship and say God I may be in the green pasture I may be in the valley but I trust you. Cool? Let's lift up our hands and lift up our voices and let's go after God. Go ahead, team.